So as, as Brian said, I am an elder. I'm on the teaching team here. I am also on the prayer team here as well. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. And today we're going to talk a little bit about four personal practices to make sense of war. And that'll make sense here in a minute. So how many of you have heard a lesson on the full armor of God before? How many of you have heard like five lessons? Ten, maybe, over and over? I've seen it happen where um, the, the leaders don't quite get things together, and I've actually seen two back-to-back separate lessons on the full armor of God. And so it's, it's, not, it's helpful to hear it once or twice, and sometimes you get a different nuance on it. Um, and of course, the passage, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, is where this comes from. And we're not going to be actually going through this text today, but I want you to notice a couple things, just kind of as point of reference. And for those of you who have never heard a sermon on it, I encourage you to look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and just look through some of these truths here. So when we talk about this battle, we know that truth, righteousness, faith, salvation, and God's word are all key to this battle. We know that this battle is spiritual in some sort of nature. And one of the things that's interesting that's easy to overlook is this idea of prayer being part of these weapons as well. Because we have all these weapons we're supposed to put on, but then Paul's kind of moving on from his analogy here, and he starts to talk about the importance of prayer right in the midst of this spiritual battle. And so I want to make sure, as we're looking at this full armor of God, that we don't miss this whole idea of the idea of praying and praying in the Spirit. And that within itself is a mystery, by the way, that I'm still trying to figure out exactly what Paul means by praying in the Spirit. And people have all different kinds of meanings they put into that. But we're not going to talk about that today either. I'd encourage you to spend a couple years thinking about what it means to pray in the Spirit and, and learn in that. So the question that really I want to address initially, though, is where is this battle fought? So if you don't know where the battle's fought, then you're pretty much all dressed up and you have no place to go. You're essentially going to Comic-Con or doing something where you're in a costume. And for me, I think for many times when I heard lessons on the full armor of God, I almost saw it like a checklist. Check, 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 check. Got these things. Maybe not as good as I should have them, but I, I have these things checked off. You know, I, I got salvation. I got the word of God. I got, you, know, you go down through the list and you have them all. But the, the question we really need to ask is where's this battle, battle fought? Because if we're not careful we end up being like many Christians where we're prepared for something, but we don't know what that something is. We know we have those things. We know we have these tools or weapons, but we don't actually know where is the battlefield that we fight these things. So if we turn to 2 Corinthians 10, here's a passage that helps us out a little bit with this. It talks about how we've been given divine power to demolish arguments and every high thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so for me, growing up in an era where we had all the Christian t-shirts and we had apologetics and something that they would teach all the youth that when you go out, you need to be able to defend your faith. I, this is kind of what I thought of it. Is it, it was a, a war for truth. It's a culture battle. And you'll see some of this going on now, especially online. You'll see this culture battle. And it doesn't really seem like anything godly is necessarily going on in the midst of this culture battle on either side. They might have girded themselves up with the full armor of God, but at the same time, it doesn't quite seem to be spirit-led. So 1 Peter 3.15 is a verse that I would go back to a lot, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and give a reason for the hope you have. First off, one of the things that I want you to notice about this verse, if we look at the culture war, is there should be something so distinctly different that people are coming to you and asking you questions. 
You don't necessarily have to go out to them, even though the Great Commission is a, a go-out kind of thing. You don't necessarily have to be going out and stirring up these conversations because there's going to be a lot of subtle things that are going on with you as you're walking out this faith, as you're praying in the Spirit with the full armor of God on. People are going to be coming to you and asking you questions. So you need to be ready for that time when somebody sees so, something so distinctly different that you're able to articulate that. And the way you articulate that is you understand why it is you do that. You might not even know why it is. I've had people tell me that they had this opportunity to come up, and they just said, I don't know. I'm just happy. I don't know. I try to see the best in things. And they realized, wait a minute, that was an opportunity for me to witness. But no, it was an opportunity for you to share what was truly in your heart and your being as to why that is. And if you have not spent time thinking about why you are the way you are, why you live the way you live, then you're not going to be able to explain that when the time comes. But this is also not what this lesson is about. Come to the next, next verse. We're supposed to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This is verse 5. So it's one thing, if we try to do this in the culture, it doesn't quite work. You can't quite take captive someone else's thought. You can try to help influence the culture, but you can't change their mind. Especially once that thought's in their mind, you cannot change their mind by the act of your will or by some special argument. And one of the things, though, that so I want to suggest maybe this verse is talking about inside of us. Maybe the spiritual battle is going on inside. So we tend to think that every thought that we have in our head is actually our own thought. So it doesn't matter if it's a good thought or if it's a bad thought. So we tend to take credit for everything. Every brilliant idea we ever have, we assume that we thought of it. And every horrible idea that we ever have, we tend to take credit for that as well. And then we feel shame and responsibility um, for those ideas as well. But we need to understand that the enemy is called the accuser. And again, I used to think of this as being something outside of myself. In the throne room of heaven, the enemy stands there just like he did with Job and throws all these accusations against me and the Holy Spirit and the Lord, and there's this cosmic battle with angels, and this is all going on, and I pictured that as being the only battlefield. However, if we look at what's going on here, one of the things that we're going to find time and time again is one of the enemy's most effective tactics is to convince you that his accusations are either your own thoughts or the harsh conviction of a tyrannical and egotistical God. One of the things that has not helped with this was many of us went through the fundamentalist era when many pastors were actually preaching in a very harsh Helen Brimstone sort of way. And by the way, we need that sometimes. Um, there are certain eras and certain times when that needs to happen because we need to be snapped out of where we are. That doesn't work quite as well right now in this current era. People don't tend to listen to that sort of a thing. But some do still. But we need to look and consider we are not alone in this conversation. And whenever you think that you're alone in this conversation and you are owning every single one of your thoughts as originating from yourself, it's very easy for the enemy to get a foothold and then a stronghold to be able to manipulate you. So, for example, if you're tempted, something might come up and you might really have a struggle with it. And this temptation goes back and forth. But every once in a while, you'll have one of these temptations. You guys tell me if you had one like this. Have a temptation where something comes to you and you're just like, ooh, gross. No, I, I wouldn't want to do that. You guys ever had this? Like it's so foreign to you. You're like, that's not even tempting. Why am I thinking this? And so you could have victory over that. But the very next thing the enemy says is, yeah, but why are you thinking it? And if you don't even know that he's there, you don't even understand the battle that's going on, you're not going to be able to take captive every thought that sets itself up against Christ. We're not talking just theology here. We're not talking about the guy down the street that says there's not a trinity, there's four in the trinity or something. We're, we're talking about 
is every single thought that separates you from Christ, that is the thought that you need to take captive. Every thought that's coming against that which is scriptural and biblical and the way things ought, ought to be, you need to take those thoughts captive. This is the kind of thoughts that you get when you're washing the dishes while your kids are doing things they shouldn't be doing and you're just things are falling apart around you, not realizing this isn't about Jesus, this is about me, this is about my kids. No, it's about everything intertwines with our relationship with Christ, our families, our relationships, ourselves. And the hard thing here is many of us struggle with these kinds of things. So there are a lot of people that will, um, they, they don't know, would you consider hearing voices or not? There's an internal conversation, a battle that's going on inside of you. And then you're afraid if you ever told a counselor this, they'll label you schizophrenic and then they'll put you on medicine or put you in a home or something might happen bad if you actually told people what was going on. But well, for the most part, the voice doesn't have sound to it. So is it really a voice if it's not, doesn't have sound to it? And so there's this struggle that a lot of people secretly struggle with because they don't want to talk about this because they don't want to be that odd person out that is hearing voices. But let me give you a couple examples here of people we prayed through things with, not out of this body, but other places. So there was one girl we prayed through things with, and she was struggling. She had, she had run away from home. There was lots of things that were going on. She had jumped into just about everything you could jump into that she shouldn't. But before that, she was this amazing godly girl. And she hadn't done anything. And in fact, one day she was feeling very prideful about the fact that she was so godly. And then she got this sense, this voice spoke to her. Though she probably wouldn't come call it a voice, it was a sense spoke to her and said something like, yeah, but you've never had an opportunity to do anything. So you shouldn't be prideful because you haven't had an opportunity. And that planted a seed for later, whenever she was mocked for her faith, instead of taking joy in her righteousness, she despised it and then jumped headlong into it. And there was another girl, her father was just going off the rails about how horrible this one sin was. And then a voice spoke to her as a little child and said, you're going to struggle with this too. And immediately she panicked. And she's like, what? I'm going to struggle with this too? And there's this sense in which there's going to come a time where she's going to have to face that wrath of her father because she's going to struggle with this too. And then 10 years later, she did struggle with it too. But before she struggled with that, she struggled with what she heard without even understanding that that was not something within her. She didn't even question that that, that kind of a statement coming seemingly from outside was, was not speaking truth necessarily into her. So when we, look at, when we look at the enemy here, you realize there are two battlegrounds. The one of culture, we can only do so much about. But if you're going to win any of the culture battles outside, it's going to be because people are coming to you asking what is different in you. You obviously have defeated something. There is a kingdom in you that's different. There's a kingdom way that's different in you, and you are the proof of concept that this works. If you're just somebody who's arguing out in the battlefield, trying to use the, use the full armor of God, and yet you haven't won the first battle inside of yourself, you're not going to be convincing when you're out in the battlefield. So I want to suggest that the first battlefield that we tackle is the war within us. So rather than maybe talking about four personal practices to make sense of war, we need to change the title a little bit. Four personal practices to make sense of the war within you. It's going to be, it's, it's, it's actually very enlightening once you realize that you're not the only one in this conversation. And you don't have to always figure out, did this come from the Lord? Did this come from the enemy? Or did this come from me? Because in the end, when everything is given to submission to Christ, it's all redeemed. So I would suggest, rather than trying to figure out if it comes from the enemy or from the Lord, if you get confused, take that to the Lord and have it all come from the Lord in the end. 
everything coming under the umbrella of his submission, of your submission to him and the Holy Spirit leading you in this. So the first personal practice is develop self-awareness of your inner dialogue. And I'm hoping that even just us having that conversation is the beginning of you thinking, oh, that, that could be. Maybe this isn't me. Maybe I don't need to feel guilt and shame about this. Maybe this isn't sin that I'm struggling with. Maybe I'm struggling with temptation. Maybe this is temptation, and I'm owning the temptation to the point where I'm feel, feeling guilt and shame from the enemy for even being tempted. So as you listen in prayer, as you learn to bring your mind to rest, your heart to peace, and asking the Lord to speak to you, I would suggest don't disregard anything as it comes. Because as we're praying through things, more and more we're finding that the Lord speaks to us in diverse ways. He could bring a word, a picture, a memory. Usually it's a sense of things. But if something comes to you, even a song comes to you, to ask, Lord, what is this? I asked a question in prayer, and now the song's coming to me. Does this mean something? And so we're learning to develop an awareness of this and this inner dialogue of where these things are coming from. Don't disregard anything outright. Uh, secondly, we need to note foreign foreign thoughts. So one of the ways that I would explain foreign thoughts are sort of like that thing that comes to you that's way out of left field. And so it's one of these things that you're like, where did this come from? It doesn't feel like me, but yet it's here. And if you're not careful, again, you just disregard it. Like, well, that was weird. And you move on. If something seems so foreign to you that you're like, I don't understand what this thing is, whether it's good or whether it's bad, you might want to take note of it. It might be something significant. Another aspect is something that I call boomerang thoughts. So you ever have a thought in your head and you try to get rid of it and it keeps coming back? You're like, oh, that's not significant. It keeps coming back. Especially when you're praying. You're like, I'm praying about this thing, but over here, this thing keeps coming back. And sometimes we'll think it's temptation. And we'll say, I, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to think about that. I'm such a horrible sinner. I keep thinking about this bad thing that I'm doing, and I instead want to think about this thing, and I want to worship the Lord. Well, consider, what if it's coming to you very gently? What if the Lord's saying, wouldn't you like to deal with this right now? And, and seriously, if things keep coming back to you, maybe that's the thing you need to deal with. You're taking up all this mental space for these thoughts that you throw out that keep coming back. It might be time to actually deal with it whenever it comes back. And so one of the ways I would suggest, if you're new at listening in prayer, is to start out with your emotions. If you're feeling sad, anxious, angry, frustrated, any disempowering feeling that you're feeling, any unpleasant feeling, figure out what it means. Ask the Lord, Lord, what is this, what is this emotion trying to tell me? Why am I sad? What's going on here? And have this conversation with the Lord, and it is possible for you to set aside that emotion, that struggle, immediately as you pray through things with the Lord. But you have to be aware of what's going on, because if you don't understand what's going on under the background, you stop walking the Spirit, your, your weapons of war end up being tainted by the world, and they end up becoming a tool of the enemy rather than something that's actually a tool in the hands of the Lord. Secondly, draw out the conversation, asking clarifying questions. If it doesn't make sense, ask the Lord, Lord, how can this be? You'll see this all throughout the Bible. When, when someone is speaking with the Lord, they'll get something, they have no clue what it is, they'll say, Lord, how can this be? And the Lord will often answer that. Or the Lord will ask them, why is this? And they'll just throw it right back to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, and the Lord will answer it back to them. So one of the things we need to do is develop those multiple modes of listening. As I was suggesting, if you can understand that the Lord could speak in many diverse ways, well then you can actually have a longer extended conversation because he doesn't just have to speak to you in the way you're used to, but you can move over from emotions or thoughts or images 
He can speak to you in many different ways and build that conversation out. So, so far, develop self-awareness of your inner dialogue. Secondly, draw out the conversation. And third, distinguish tone. So we're, we're told a lot that in Scripture that God's better than our parents. He even calls our dad evil, giving us good gifts, and so the Lord is going to give us better things. But it's important for us to understand that we, we can't think that the Lord's going to come at, come at us very judgmentally, very angrily. My experience as we're praying through things with people is that the Lord comes with a surprising kindness. Because what we find is that the anger of man that we're used to, it doesn't bring about the righteousness of God. And so if God's going to be righteously indignant, which, by the way, I'm, I, this is theologically out there, I understand, but I, I'm starting to believe that maybe the Lord's the only one who can be righteously indignant. Our anger doesn't quite measure up. We can come close sometimes. We just have to be very careful with anger when it comes. But when the Lord comes, he wants to lead you and shepherd you somewhere. It makes no sense for him to beat the sheep before he leads them somewhere. He wants to gently shepherd you and lead you, and he's going to be consistent with Scripture whenever he's coming and speaking with you. He's going to, it's going to be for the betterment of you and for the church. It does no good for him to guilt and shame you and make you feel horrible for months when he could actually have you in the game for the kingdom. The enemy, on the other hand, is going to be harsh, and he's going to be disempowering. He's going to trick you, that he, the thinking that he is God, or even better, he's going to trick you that he is more you than you are. And so it's been interesting, as we pray through things with people, we end up often finding out this person is so self-identifying with the enemy, and with his temptation, with his schemes, that the things that the enemy wants are not the things that they want, but yet at the same time they listen to that voice as though it's their own, and often it will come in an audible voice, in their own voice, very familiarly, and they're going to think that that is their voice, and they're going to actually follow along with the enemy's plan. But the good news is, the enemy doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit. And that is going to be something that will really out him very quickly because he's going to come in with selfish ambition, stagnant self-protection, and bitter justice that masquerades as holiness and righteousness. And so when we're dealing with the enemy, if you press and you try to have an extended conversation with the enemy, he's not going to be able to do that for long. He can masquerade as an angel of light, but he gets impatient. He gets frustrated. He gets condemning. And he'll start saying things that are very unscriptural, trying to manipulate and twist your arm. And if you just realize, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like the Lord. Well, is this me? No, I don't, I don't think it's me either. Well, I think it's the enemy. Giving that over and rejecting that as you get to those kinds of things. When my son was younger, before his voice changed, he was able to trick me for a time when I would call home. So I'd call home, he'd pick up my wife's phone, say hello, and try to see how much he could get me to say before I actually figured out that it was him. And now he can't do that anymore. But I realized after a while, if I just started asking a couple questions, he couldn't fake her voice very long or what she would say very long. And I, I saved myself a lot of embarrassment as soon as I started asking those kinds of questions. So develop self-awareness of your inner dialogue. Draw out the conversation. Distinguish tone and truthfulness. So um, we need to pray. I think I, I switched my slides a little bit. But pray and listen again for clarification. And so continue this, this longer-term conversation. And while you're doing that, actually test. Is this true? Is it not true? The Lord's not going to speak anything that's not true. And sometimes you'll be like, Lord, I don't get this. How can this be true when your scripture says this? Well, ask him that and see if there's a clarification, something that you're missing. And we're going to test this with scripture and then with the community of faith. So if we put these four together, develop, self, uh, develop self-awareness, draw the conversation, distinguish tone, and then distinguish truthfulness, number four. 
So the war is within you, but the good news is we're all in this together. And what we're learning as we're developing things in the prayer team, and then Jen and I would pray through as we're praying through things with people, we're understanding we don't have to get into guilt and shame. We don't have to get into disempowering emotions. We don't have to get into memories where it's painful and hurtful to the point where it becomes traumatizing to pray through things. And so it's important for you guys to realize we do have a prayer team here. And one of the things that's hard to understand if you don't know much about our prayer team is they're not just about praying for people, but also praying through things with people as well. And so really it's a prayer counseling ministry in addition to a praying ministry. And so there can actually be forward motion, not just from the blessing of someone praying for you. We've all experienced that where someone prays for us and something breaks free and it's, and it's true and amazing, but they can even go further where we get back to roots and getting healing there as well. And we're developing this out. We got permission this year with Grace to launch a care team. And so that's something I want you guys to be praying about as you guys look ahead toward 2022 as being a part of this prayer team, being a part of this care team as we build things out more because it's not good for us to be alone. We're shepherding our own thoughts. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens and we're supposed to also bear our own burden. And so I want to encourage you as you look back over these points to consider you're in this battle already. Yes, you have the full armor of God. Yes, you have the spirit of God. But prayer is a part of this. And the battle, the first battlefield, is inside of ourselves. And if you're going to take a battlefield outside of yourself, it's going to happen primarily, I believe, from you taking this first battlefield and then people coming to you saying, how did you do it? There's something in you. There's a kingdom in you. And a little leaven is going to work through the whole loaf. It's going to be like a mustard seed that spreads in a larger kingdom. And this is the gospel of Jesus, is that... Now you have abundant life. Now the easy burdens have been, been given to you, and you've given your heavy burdens, and you've received rest. So let's pray. Lord God, I pray for each person here in their individual battles. Lord, I pray now specifically for those thoughts that have taken root in them, that they have identified as their own, but they're not. Lord, I ask, would you just bring their minds to rest and their heart to peace, and Lord, would you show each person here, Lord, what is the biggest thought that they are owning that is of the enemy? Would you just bring that to their heart and mind in the way they can receive? And Lord, I pray that throughout the day, throughout the week, that you would bring this to them. And would you give them the power, the ability to let go of this thought? So Lord, we invite you into our minds. We invite you into our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would redeem these kingdoms. Lord, that we might see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thank you, John. That was a lot of information.